Welcome! You're listening to Uncommon Sense, and I'm Doug Morgan. And today we're going to finish up what we started on Friday. We looked at the question, what will schools look like post-COVID? And we are going through an article that John McLaughlin wrote, uh, and, and really it was an optimistic view of what the schools are going to look like post-COVID. And we kind of got into a little bit about what schools look like today, what uh, what they've gone through because of COVID. Uh, we, we've seen really the online learning only model is just an abject failure. It has definitely not gone well. Uh, when we can see a third to a half of all students failing because of it, that's terrible. That That is uh, not a system that can continue a very, uh, very long. Uh, we ob- obviously have seen sports uh, has been canceled. Uh, like I say, there, there, there's some variance around the country uh, because we're in the Northwest and that's where this podcast is out of and, and uh, based in. We uh, have some of the most restrictive, in fact, the number one and number two states are here in the Northwest as far as lockdown orders. Uh, we are the most restrictive, but we still see this to, to some degree in in most parts all across the, the, the nation. And so uh, when we see these online learning scenarios where everyone has to do online learning only, we're seeing just terrible results because of that. Uh, and, and yet we also see the teachers union unions, they, they're fighting this opening of the schools to uh, in-person learning. And, and why even, even hybrid models are something that they would not be in favor of. In fact, they, they call them you know, white supremacy and white privilege if we want to try to, to do that uh, because we have kids in mind. Um, and th- th- these are things that you, th- you would think coming from a union who, who is supposedly uh, you know, a teacher's union, an educational union, would have kids in mind. Uh, that, that they're taking the opposite tact. And, and that's not, uh, not something we think is a good thing here. And, and we started to get into it uh, by uh, point number one of uh, Mr. McLaughlin's piece here, saying that the remote learning is here to stay. That's, that's his number one thing that he thinks uh, will change uh, when it comes to the public school system. Uh, and, and I had some feedback to that one uh, in that he's saying that the online learning is here to stay, and it's a good thing for number one that, that uh, kids, some kids do learn better that way, and uh, that's that's also cheaper. It's quite a bit cheaper, uh, usually around fifty-two hundred dollars or less. Uh, it, it costs to teach a kid per year when it comes to online learning, where uh, many uh, many places right now are over fifteen thousand dollars a year uh, per student for in in-person learning. Uh, and I, I, I had the, the feedback that uh, how can this be uh, that, that it's here to stay if it's been a failure? Well, uh, the answer is that you can't have online learning only because online learning only means it's a one-size-fits-all type of scenario. Not everyone can learn online. There are kids that definitely do, and they do better. I, know, I, I have seen instances where where kids just take to that because it can it can be so much more custom for them. They they uh, they can spend less time. There's just there they every student learns in a little different way, 
and, and there are those that are visual learners. There are those that are um, audio learners or tactile. They, they, they need to touch whatever it is that they're learning in order to, to really get it to sink in. And, and online learning is, does, does not cover all of those bases. And so, uh, so for some, yes, this is going to be the thing that's going to really help them. And it's here to stay. It's not going away. It's the way that, that some schools will be able to teach some students, but not all. And that, that's the point here. It's not a, a one-size-fits-all. Uh, it's just for those students that it actually does help. Now, point number two, school choice and vouchers will blossom. It says here, for almost 30 years, parents have, seen, uh, have been given greater choice in public education, whether through magnet schools, open enrollment, district charters, or dual enrollment. But that choice will now flow into non-public school choices. Uh, choice will morph from a patchwork of private school choice options to statewide universal programs. A move that will hold down costs and increase opportunities. He says in a special education, um, they can uh, and have found in over a dozen uh, states this type of opportunity. Parents of a child with special needs can use a voucher to pay for private schooling. And the rationale is growing among families that have the same choice uh, and that, that they should have that same choice uh, belonging to their children who don't need those special needs. Why should my child with a special needs, let's say, have a free pass to a private school, yet my other child must attend the public school unless I pay tuition, and then I can you know, obviously make that, have that uh, child go to a private school. But the special education law developed in, 19, in the 1970s that stresses meeting the individual needs of each student with exceptional needs will be applied to all students and will seed a revolution in school choice. That's, that's his prediction. And, and I would say, I would love to see this. The, the voucher type system is something I would love to see and I think would make the biggest impact on our schools in a positive way. Uh, when I was a part of a school district and I was chairman of that district, uh, we had open an open enrollment policy within the district. And inside the district, you could go uh, from a school to another school that wasn't necessarily the closest one to your house. Um, and that was okay. As, you know, you had to submit the form and we had to, you know, make sure that there was room in, in that school and whatnot. But, uh, but we even saw there, there were, there was a school within the district that literally had more students from outside of that school's area than inside. And, and literally probably was, had saved that school because that school would have, would have shut down, but because there were so many, just the area in which it was in uh, was a little more of a dying type area. Uh, didn't see as many kids, wasn't growing, but, but uh, kids loved to go to that school because the school itself was doing such a great job of teaching children. And so uh, the, these, these parents, wanted to be a part of that, whether or not they lived in that area or not, and they were willing to transport their children to that school, and it had more children than, than uh, from outside that area than, than inside. Uh, in fact, there was even, we even had this open enrollment policy with other districts uh, that we were adjacent to, and there was another district, school district, that we were adjacent to that was just doing a terrible job. Now, our district was, was 
like like I told you before, it was it was the tops. We had the as far as the the numbers, test scores, and and all the uh, diff- different things. We we were doing things very optimal, uh, and and it, and it showed because of. The, the kids that, that came out of our system, our school district, uh, were, were more than ready for college or wherever they wanted to go. And, and, they, um, and, and, it, and it, was a, it was an obvious thing. This other district, though, it was pretty obvious that they were not doing things very well. And there were a number of, of ch- uh, children that, I, I know of some that, that literally could not read, and yet they were graduating from high school. And it was it, it, there were there were some just some bad scenarios, and um, and yet there was a community that was in between us, and they were re- they were part of this other district, but because our district was so good, and they were they were on the border with us, uh, they the majority of kids were coming to our district through this transfer system, this open enrollment. and uh, and the other district didn't like that because in 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 that state. The the number uh, the, the the dollars went with the child with the child. So if a child came to our district, we got the dollars for that chi- with that child. Well, that that uh, the other district didn't like that, and so uh, so they basically put a stop to all open enrollment, and they put a stop to anybody going outside of the, their district. Hey, they they didn't mind if we had kids from our district that wanted to go to theirs, but they would not allow any longer any student to go from theirs to anywhere else. They were, in effect, holding parents and students hostage, and uh, that made the uh, this, this little community very upset uh, that they no longer could come to our district. And they 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 really did a wonderful job of putting pressure on that district. They they went to all the, the school board meetings. They held protests. They. Uh, they literally told them, we will never ever, for, from this point forward, vote for another school bond for your district uh, because of what you're doing here. And, and that put so much pressure on that district that they did the unheard of. <laughs> they literally said, okay, we are going to allow this little community to be a part of another school district. And they became a part of our school district, redrawing the boundary lines of the districts. Uh, simply because of this and allowing those those parents and students to be a part of our district that is unheard of and and yet it happened uh, because of this open enrollment it is a very good thing we even saw a, a, another school within our own district that was again in a community that was not doing real well and as far as the number of, of students w- was declining each year and we could no longer uh, have this this uh, school stay open and so we uh, started to, to, to do the thing where we needed to shut it down. Well, the parents got together and they said, you know what, we would like to make this into a charter school. And a charter school, uh, meaning one that, has, that is allowed to operate uh, with, with specific goals and, and uh, a little less uh, regulation, and yet uh, also a little less funding as well. Uh, the state allowed us to uh, keep 20% of the funding just basically for maintaining the, the building and, and the grounds and that type of stuff. We decided not to do that when we contracted with this charter school. We said, you know what, we want you to succeed as, as much as possible. And so we did a contract with them where we only held uh, a, a 10% back and we gave them 90%. Uh, but uh, but what was interesting is the test scores in that school when, when they became a charter school went way, way up. Uh, they... 
Uh, they did they did a wonderful job as far as kids learning and the parents uh, being a part of what was going on. And in fact, they they uh, even I believe to this day uh, still have a waiting list. They are completely full and have a waiting list for a number of the different grades. Uh, and and even the, the the teachers were immune from. Uh, seniority layoffs uh, because they were a charter school union actually came and filed lawsuit uh, against that because what what was happening is if there were any layoffs we had to as a school district lay off the 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 newest teacher whether that teacher was good or or bad it didn't matter Uh, they could be the best teacher in the world we had to lay them off because they were the last ones to be hired and and when it came to this charter school that wasn't the case we had some great teachers and there were some young teachers but there were some great teachers there and and they could not uh be fired or laid off because they were part of the charter school the union didn't like that but uh actually ended up losing that lawsuit uh which again only helped that school so uh, again an- another instance where the union did not have the child in mind and they're best at heart. Um, all right, so moving on, uh, we see uh, number three from this individual says that homeschooling will mushroom. Millions of families will keep their children home this fall. Most will do it because of campus closures or to keep their children out of harm's way, but some will embrace designing the school day for their children. For those parents who are just marking time until the all clear is signaled, public schools will need to rapidly rethink their classroom structure and have teachers move to serve children in their homes or in small family pods in community centers, Sunday schools, and heated garages. And after COVID is contained, there's really no reason to stop the practice. School buildings are expensive to build and to maintain, and various organizations estimate The um, deferred maintenance on the nation's 100,000 public school buildings to be in the range of $300 billion. Just like shopping malls, movie theaters, and office buildings, school buildings will see their need diminish as learning becomes any uh, anywhere, anytime reality. There are over a trillion dollars of school facilities in the nation. As schools evolve, other uses like senior housing will be found for many of those buildings. After, even after COVID is in the rearview mirror, the number of families that continue to homeschool will grow. Homeschooling is no longer exclusively the domain of religious uh, people. It's an uh, option for families who want more control, not only of the curriculum, but also the schedule. The explosion of online learning options and paper and pencil curriculums have created a marketplace environment for homeschooling, one that has been discovered by the mainstream during COVID, and there's no going back for millions of families. And I would say the same thing. I I, I think that that homeschooling is definitely just absolutely skyrocketing right now. We're going to see this continue. Uh, So many have seen that by homeschooling their kids, they learn better. And, and really, in a fraction of the time, we, we've seen that um, many homeschooler f- uh, families are spending on average of about three to maybe three and a half hours a day on the homeschooling and getting better results than almost any of the public school systems. Uh, and and, and it's, it's interesting that they can do that. I mean, obviously, they're, they're you know, homeschoolers are, are only homeschooling uh, a few children, but yet at the same time, this is this is a major time difference uh, if, if for no other reason uh, that that will be 
uh, a big boon for the homeschool uh, end of things. Uh, our, even even our, our local homeschool resource center has seen over 320 um, new families just this semester. And so uh, we know that, uh, that homeschooling is just going to continue to grow, I think, post-COVID. Number four, sports will uncouple from schools. Now, there is, a, there is little doubt that sports programs are a vital part of development, it says. Individual growth, team experiences, and coaching and mentoring can provide meaningful and developmentally significant experiences. But the sporting experience does not have to be organized through public schooling. Already, there are abundant avenues to... Um, perpetuate uh, the, the team sports such as football, baseball, and soccer that are organized within communities and outside of school purview. The schools uh, restructure in the post-COVID area, sports will become more community organized like it is in many other countries and there will be organizational rules, eligibility requirements, conferences, and schedules with sport uh, remaining a uh, community-focused and ra- uh, uh, rallying point. Uh, they uh, just won't be organized through the schools. Currently, sport is the glue that holds public education together, and it's time to let school evolve beyond physical facilities and sports-dominated calendar. Community and civic organizations will organize football, volleyball, and even sport currently op- sports that aren't currently offered. Opportunities for children and teens to participate in sports won't be reduced, but uh, as learning morphs from traditional school buildings to homes, pods, and jobs, uh, sports governance organizations will separate from the organizational framework of public education. And I, I, I think that you know th- this could very easily be seen. Uh, this is a good thing, I think, for young athletes as they do uh, as they will really no longer be bound to the lumbering bureaucracy that is a state-run athletic association. Uh, I, I could give you a number, number, numerous examples of things that you just shake your head at going, wow, how, why is this in place when it comes to these sports? The sport is, I think, very important. There's things that, that our kids learn through uh, sports that they just can't learn uh, in, in a classroom or out of a book. Uh, there's a lot of really, really cool things that kids that get involved with sports um, uh, can can learn, just life life type things. Um, and and as we see these things uncouple from schools and, and be more of a community-based type of thing, I think that's a good thing. Uh, number five, teacher unions will shrink. Worker unions are uh, vital to a uh, capitalistic economy, but the, econ- the economic, uh, technological, and uh, demographic forces that will shape education in the post-COVID era will overwhelm and significant uh, the significant uh, put political might of the teachers' union. And that I'm telling you, there is a very big um, political might when it comes to teachers' unions. As vital as the unions have been to our uh, professionalization of teachers, the dispersion of learning and learners will erode the fundamental school-based organizational structure of unions, moving 50 million children every day to 100,000 school buildings is rapidly becoming antiquated. The nation will face dramatic business changes. Taxes will increase to address the trillions spent to keep the nation afloat during COVID. Uh, And robotics and AI will continue to replace employees. The, The gig economy will 
Capture more workers and the economic structure of the nation will change with the government promoting New Deal-like programs to build infrastructure, build new energy and transportation systems, and support the growth of small and mid-sized clean manufacturing. A small portion of public money will be spent on schools, and that will hurt teachers' unions. And I, I, I would disagree that unions have been vi- a vital part of the educational uh, system, uh, but I will say that they are the most influential of unions in most states. Uh, in fact, um, you know, the, 50% or even more in some states of the budget goes to education. Of that state's budget, it goes 50% or more is, is education uh, budgeting. Um, and it will be interesting to see if parents will be a bigger force for change in that area. All right, lastly, number seven, mass customization of schooling will be the norm. As America plows through COVID-related supply chain disruptions and workers' uh, replacements (laughs) and displacements, uh, people have adjusted their buying habits. Online shopping has skyrocketed. Window shopping and casual trips to stores characterized by just looking have plummeted. While individuals long for the return of fans to entertainment venues, friends and large group gatherings, and casual mass-free trips to the grocery store, the nation has adjusted to evenings at home, walks in the neighborhood, and teleconferencing for both business meetings and social communication. While these changes do not come without adjustment, they will remain after COVID is gone. So, it will be with schooling. The schooling of the closing of school buildings this spring forced adjustments to family life some parents are longing for the moment that they can drop the kids at the school gates and peel off in a cloud of dust but school closings showed families that a quality school day can be accomplished in two or three hours as uh, raised and this has raised the question of why schools hold children for seven to eight hours a day in the coming years the eight to three model of school will fade. Half-day shifts and every other day schooling schedules uh, that get the the school job done and meet family needs will become the norm. For public schools to hold market share, they will have to customize their product. Without it, parents will shop elsewhere. And I I agree with him here. The the, uh, school district that that I uh, was a part of um, and worked with uh, it, it, it looked at dropout rates and started an alternative school. Uh, we, we ended up starting an alternative school that basically met the needs of some students that, that just needed something a little bit different. Uh, again, the one-size-fits-all didn't work for everyone. And some of these students were students that were maybe, you know, just had fallen behind and needed some more individual work. Uh, maybe their home life was structured in such, such, such a way that, that uh, getting to school on time was, was almost impossible. And so we, were, we, we, we would re- work around timing. Uh, there were other students who were just so, so very intellectual and smart at, that they would get so completely bored with, with uh, having to stay with the group that you know they, they needed again some little more uh, challenge uh, to their life and so this alternative school took off and it really did very well we we had uh, one of the very very lowest dropout rates in the state and uh, and, and it really did uh, help those students that would have normally just simply dropped out of school altogether um, and I would say I, <laughs> I would agree with his last statement here it says Humpty Dumpty has fallen 
and there is no putting him back together again. Um, you know, it, you, you may you may have seen some things happen here since COVID uh, with your school system. Uh, you may you may even want to add to this list, uh, and, and there are things that you would say, hey, this is the way schools are going to go in the future. I'd love to hear from uh, from you about that, and you can contact us directly uh, through email if you wish. That email address is foruncommonsense at gmail.com. That's for, F-O-R, uncommonsense, at gmail.com. Of course, we're also on Instagram. We're on Facebook, uh, MeWe, and other places. So anyway, uh, give, drop us a line. Let us know what you think. And thank you for listening. <laughs>